Sony Cup and welcome to another episode here for the Funkit Pod, Mindful Media and Communication. As you can see today, um, we are looking at the godfather of news, information, podcasting, the godfather of ice bath, cold plunges, saunas, mental health, exercise, martial arts, drugs, uh, cars, comedy, the godfather himself, Joe Rogan. We're talking about Joe Rogan. And this is not a Joe Rogan hit piece or hate, hate post content clip, whatever. It's just curiosity. Um, I've been listening to Joe Rogan as many probably for, for a long, 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 long time. And I was just curious to actually look into, like, to see how is it communicating? How did it change? Did it change? And yeah, so just here to talk about what I, what I saw when trying to analyze Joe Rogan. For those two of you who don't know that who Joe Rogan is, but for some reason listen to me, but not Joe Rogan. So Joe Rogan, obviously a pivotal figure in, in the media, um, huge influence, huge reach, famous for way in the, Back in the day when he was uh, on a comedy show, sitcom, news radio, and then hosting Fear Factor, became one of the first commentators, like interview guys for the UFC, um, famous for his stand-up comedy, which I don't quite get. Even though I like the Joe Rogan experience, the podcast here and there. Um, not the biggest stand-up fan of his, but he's famous for it, so he must be good, so people clearly like him. Um, so famous stand-up comedian, biggest podcast in the world, just signed a new Spotify extension for more than $250 million, I believe. So big, big deal, more followers than any other media outlet, I believe, uh, more views. Every, every podcast episode gets more views slash listens than most traditional media outlets um, have with their news shows. So he's a big deal in the media if, if you don't know who he is. Okay. So that's why I was curious to see like, what's his communication style like? Um, what kind of strategies is he using consciously, subconsciously, maybe even? Um, and what media theories do apply here, right? To that make him the, the premier source of information, if you will, for, for many people right now. You can argue as much as you want, like uh, traditional media is more important. If you just look at the views and listens, more people listen to him than to Fox, NBC, what, whatever you want, right? So CNN, whatever. All right. So I'm going to try to analyze a few theories. Let's throw a few theories at you, a few that we talked about before on this podcast. So if you listened before, you might be familiar, but then it's a good exercise to get more familiar with it, to actually understand it. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I throw some theories out there, media theories mostly, and then I try to explain them on the topic that we're discussing. Okay. So I think the first one, the first one is a, is a very easy, very often, very common used to utilized media theory, the use and gratification theory. Okay. So the use and gratification theory suggests that people actively choose the media that meets the various needs that they have. Now, if you look at the Joe Rogan experience, we can see, okay, clearly, 
I want to say a diverse audience. Now, it depends how you define diverse, maybe not as diverse, because you're going to say, oh, it's only rednecks or something. But say like a somewhat diverse audience, I would, I would believe, that listens to him, that likes information, but also entertainment, you know, off-the-cuff commentary, um, informal way of presenting things, right? So it offers something for, for everyone, for lots of different kinds of audiences. From those, they're the comedic relief, comedy stuff, and he has lots of comedians as guests that he interviews, right? So from fun comedy to like deep dive discussions about Gebekli Tepe, for example, um, the younger dries impact theory, ancient aliens, uh, you name it, right? So there's something for everyone, which was also the reason why I first tuned in to the JRE because I realized, hey, there's so many different guests on there like 10 years ago whenever I started listening. And I thought that's pretty cool that it's so open, right? So I can choose. I, if there's like a hunter guy on there, I'm not a hunter. I'm not into hunting. I don't listen to it. If there's a comedian on there, I'm into stand-up comedy. I like it. I listen to it. Right? So I can, you can pick and choose, use and gratification, tune in when there's something on it for you. And even those long-form yeah, interviews, three hours, on average, I would, I would assume those interviews are never just boring Tucker Carlson-like interviews. <laughs> Sorry, Tucker. Um, they usually also like go from, I know, small talk into something fun, into something serious. So it's something informative, something for everyone. So that's the use and gratification theory at play. Not I wanted to say not sure if he does it on purpose. He clearly does it on purpose. I think Joe Rogan knows exactly what he's doing and how he's structuring his interviews. He might not say that he structures his interviews and he just goes with the flow, but he knows what the audience wants to hear. He knows that the audience doesn't want three hours of only stoic information thrown at them. He knows the audience wants some comedy. They want some seriousness. They want some information. They want some crazy stuff out there. Also, the crazy stuff is going to be the shared. The stuff is going to be shared. It's going to be clicked and so on. Uh, so I'm sure he knows all those things. He's a smart person. He might say he doesn't structure it on purpose, which I believe you don't have to structure it on purpose like that. But in the back of your head, you know, using gratification, you know what works with your audience, with the different kinds of audiences that you have. So that's one of the things. That is clearly visible to me when I watched slash listen to the JRE, to the Joe Rogan experience. Okay. Um, the second one, the second theory I want to discuss might be a bit more controversial. Um, it's the, gate, the gatekeeping theory. Also a very common theory when it comes to media studies. Um, so when it comes to yeah, media, gatekeepers, they have like the role of filtering information within the media for us the consumer so that yeah, the raw information doesn't just come at us and be like, oh my God, there's so much information, what, what to make of it. So gatekeepers kind of like filter the information and then give it to us. Now that can be good, that can be bad. It's good because we don't have to work with all the raw information and we're not getting overwhelmed. We're like, oh my God, what does that actually mean? So the gatekeepers kind of help us to make sense of it and they give us the inform not all the information all at once. They give us information they think we should have now. Um, but you, while I say that, you can also see the problem with it because, well, we're not getting all the information at once. So 
who decides, who, who tells the gatekeeper that they can decide what's important for us, right? So it can be positive, it can be negative. It's with, with everything in life, right? There's pros, there's cons to everything, right? So gatekeeping theory here. So when it comes to Rogan, I think Rogan is obviously a very important gatekeeper because right? he's so famous, his show is so big. I mean, it starts with choosing the guests, right? So which guests do I have on at what, at what time? Then what topics do we discuss? Do we discuss current topics? Do we have another discussion on Israel-Palestine, for example, or don't we? Um, it just shapes the narrative and also influences the public discourse. If Rogan keeps talking about Israel-Palestine, for example, for like another two weeks or so, the audience will keep talking, keep talking about it too. If he doesn't, if he chooses to have Cat Williams on as the day of recording now, for example, then maybe don't, even though Cat Williams is also a little bit I know out there sounds so negative. Cat Williams is like a very interesting guest because he touches on many different topics, not just comedy, for example. So um, I didn't mean to offend Cat Williams with this example. I'm just saying if Rogan chooses different guests at different times and different topics, then he gatekeeps in a sense that he keeps other topics away from us, for example. And it's like, hey, let's not talk about Palestine today. Let's talk about something else today, for example. Okay, that's also gatekeeping in here. So this... This selection could reflect certain bias of interest or, or interests. Even as he claims that he resists the traditional media constraints, because clearly traditional media outlets do this way more actively and more on this in a second, uh, that they gatekeep, that they give us certain information, they, they take or they, they don't give us certain information. And you can even see this like with left wing, right wing, right? CNN, Fox, and so on, like they push certain information, other information they, they withhold from us, for example. And Rogan says he doesn't do that. And I believe him that he doesn't do this like actively. He doesn't say like, okay, I'm not going to talk about this or that, but he chooses whether or not to talk about certain topics and whether or not to push conversations in a certain, in a certain direction, right? So that's all that I'm saying. I'm not saying there's like a huge, mean intent or, or negative intent behind it even though there might be some more this also in a second but I, I don't think that he's like the devil who's like ah i don't want people talk about this but of course there's a conscious decision behind which topic is being talked about which guest is being invited at which time right i mean that just makes sense wouldn't you do the same if you have a podcast and you invite people to talk to of course, you would plan like the timing. You would okay, right now this is trending. We should talk to a person like this during during COVID. He's had lots of COVID people on, of course, like doctors and scientists and so on. It just made sense, right? So now you could say, wouldn't you want to have more people on that know about the Israel-Palestine conflict? You could even have comedians comedians on that talk about those things, for example, in their acts. Or do you have people on that talk about other stuff? And so that's that's gatekeeping at play right there. Okay. Um, one of my favorite theories that's not related to to like gatekeeping actually um, is the parasocial interaction theory. Yeah, you could call it PIT or parasocial, whatever parasocial interaction theory. Okay. So parasocial interaction theory, like, kind of tries to explain how audiences form one-sided relationships with media figures. Happens all the time, right? You follow someone, you think you know that person because you follow them and you check out everything they're doing and so on, right? Now, that person that you follow obviously doesn't know you, 
right? Makes sense. So now how does it with Rogan, right? So Rogan has a very conversational style, like lots of personal, personal anecdotes. He has this sense of intimacy, just him talking in the camera. Now he makes listeners feel like they're part of, of a dialogue, which builds like loyalty and trust, obviously, right? So you feel like you're in the room with him, more or less. That that's one of his secrets to success, right? That you're like listening to him, like, oh yeah, that's so cool. It's like a conversation. So you feel like you know Joe Rogan, but obviously you don't. You just know his public persona and he doesn't know who you are. But that leads to his fans, his followers, and so on. And I'm sure there will be lots of comments here right now who think that I attack him, which I don't. I just try to analyze. But it's that's why like lots of fans feel very strongly about him or maybe even strongly against him. If you just see certain clips that... that I know, show him in a, in a different kind of light. Same thing with like pop stars, right? If you look at K-pop, if you say something like, I don't like BTS, the, the, the K-pop band, gonna have like, lots of BTS stands in my comments, like threatening me. But how can you say that, for example, right? So because the parasocial relationship is so strong. Okay, so that, that, that's the parasocial interaction theory. Okay, so I, I just find it very interesting because, like, as soon as someone's famous and Rogan is super famous, he has like this strong cult-like following. Um, but it applies to lots of famous people, not just to Rogan. I'm just making the point here. So, if you, for example, if you would criticize him in the comments on social media, lots of people would come to his help. Note that he needs that, and he doesn't read comments, as he always says, uh, but to to put you in your place. Okay, so that's a parasocial, um, the parasocial interaction theory. So now another one, another one, and I only have like three more, so I don't want to make it too much of a lecture, but I just find it interesting to see like how those different theories apply to the Joe Rogan experience. Um, another famous one is the framing theory. Okay, so the framing theory discusses how information can be presented in a way that shapes like the audience perception. You put it in a frame, right? So you decide how much of the information you show. And in which light you show it. So that's how you frame the information. Let's assume the information is huge. So do you give the whole information to the audience or do you just frame it? Just focus the frame on a certain amount of information or from a certain angle, for example, right? So that's, that's another very famous media theory. So when it comes to Joe Rogan and the Joe Rogan experience, I think Rogan is great at framing conversations. And again, I, I'm not necessarily meaning this in a negative way. Um, because very often he tries to place devil's advocate or he used to do it more than he does it now from, from my personal point of view. Um, but I didn't do a like scientific research on that. Right. But from my point of view, I think he used to do it more often than, than he does it now, but he frames conversations, um, especially like on, on content issues. I, I believe in, in ways that may like prioritize certain viewpoints of his and then maybe subtly guide the conversation's direction. And you very rarely you see a guest disagreeing with Joe Rogan. They mostly go along and like, oh yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Um, Cat Williams disagree a lot with Joe Rogan. <laughs> <coughs> Pardon me, still sick after two or three weeks. Um, but usually Joe Rogan is very good at framing it, and he's like, hey, I think this is like this, and then we have like the Younger Drives Impact Theory, for example, blah, 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 and then the guest goes like, oh, yeah, right, interesting, and goes along with it. So he's very good at 
at taking in new information. He's very good at, I think, listening. Then he's also very good at like adding what he already knows to that new information to make it fit his narrative or his thought process. Again, I don't necessarily think that this is like with a mean intent or done with a mean intent. I just think that just happens when you talk to lots of people and you learn so many things that then you have so much information in your head that you think like, hey, I, I know what you're saying, but actually I think I know better. And then you just add more of your information to frame it so that it fits the narrative. And then most people go along with it. So that's the framing theory. Could also be when it comes to COVID, I mean, his favorite, or now I say COVID so many times that now it's going to be demonetized, but it's, it's one of his favorite topics. Right? And he obviously frames it as it's just another cold. And I don't want to make, I don't want to make this a, a, a medical discussion right now, but there are obviously people who suffer from long COVID, whatever, that will heavily disagree with that. Right. So it's, it's a different point of view, a different way of framing it, maybe even. Okay. So I'm just trying to make the point that even though he says, he doesn't work the way traditional media works, which is true. There's still framing involved in the way that he structures narratives and the, the way that he leads um, interviews. Okay, but again, everybody's doing it. Right. So if you if any if you watch anyone doing an interview, they will all frame things in a certain way because the frame of reference is always the information that you have. It's always what you know. It's always your own frame of reference. You cannot avoid framing things unless you're really actively reminding yourself, hey, don't put a frame on that. Maybe I just don't know enough. Maybe that person's right. Just let them talk. But then you have to wonder, when do you intervene? Because if you don't want to put a frame on it, you're like, okay, I can't give that person now seven hours to talk about whatever right like carlson did to to to, uh, to putin for example you can't just let him talk right so it's very difficult not to frame things okay so that's the framing theory last last theory i want to throw at you um just because i think it's also very well fitting and also very common media theory is the cultivation theory okay the cultivation theory explains that um the long-term effects of media exposure Right, on perception and reality can be felt, uh, meaning that if you're exposed to something over and over again, frequently, yeah, all the time, then this will shape your perception of reality. That's the cultivation theory. You cultivate the perception of what's real to the audience. Okay. So when it comes to the Rogan experience, um, you could consider the potential impact of, of Rogan's regular discussion on any kind of subject like drug use, political correctness, wokeness, science, because that shapes the audience viewpoint over time. So if you always listen to Rogan, like I said, I've been listening to him for, I don't know, is it 10 years? I don't know, for, for a long, 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 long time, okay? And so I listen to him talking about about mushrooms and weed and drug use and whatnot, and over time you're like, okay, maybe he's he's got a good point. I think that's, yeah, I mean... Maybe we all should have those experiences at some point. Maybe we should. And so it does shape your perception of reality and what you think is right or wrong. Now, here important is, of course, that everybody who listens to it, like every audience member, everyone who's out there consuming media should, of course, use Critical thinking, media literacy is important, right? We talked about this on the podcast before as well. That's why we call it uh, mindful media and communication, this podcast. So critical thinking, 
Um, mindfulness, media literacy, very, very important. So don't just follow blindly what anyone is saying, of course. However, if that person keeps saying it over and over again, and it's not like it's it's propaganda, it's not like, hey, take this and, and just add face value. He's just talking about it here and there and here. And then this comedian agrees and then this scientist agrees. And then he's got like Dr. Carl Hart on again, who's agrees, who agrees. And you're like, oh, yeah, so maybe maybe they're not, I mean, so many people, yeah. Um, so it's not even consciously, it's subconsciously influencing what you think or how you think about certain things. Because that's just one example. It could also be with political correctness when he's got like Jordan Peterson on again, for example, uh, who's getting really a bit, a bit exhausting. But maybe we have a different episode on Peterson, not hating on him per se, agreeing with lots of things that he says, disagreeing with just as many things that he says, I think. Um but yes, so critical thinking is, is, is important, right? So don't just blindly following things. And but even again, even if we do think critically, and the subconscious agreeing to certain things that someone says, and that they frame it in a in a certain way, you're like, oh yeah, hmm. okay. And then you just take it in. You don't even think actively about it, and then it pops up again in three weeks from now, and seven weeks from now, half a year from now, and it just slowly uh, impacts. The way you think that was my cat who agrees with me. And if you look at like few, just a few real, real life examples from the JRE, right? Um, <coughs> pardon me. Like I said, been sick for a while now. Not COVID, I think, I hope. Um, so, I mean, a few real life examples. So he did interview with some controversial figures, obviously, here and there. I mean, he had Jordan Peterson on, um, who was somewhat controversially he had alex jones on who's somewhat more or less controversial um i say alex jones and my cat snooze starts to cry snooze stop crying just because i say alex jones he's not here he can't hurt you don't worry about it um joe, joe rogan talked about the COVID 19 vaccine right that he's not taking it um that it's just a flu and if you're strong and healthy you get over it but he also said that his, that his parents will take it for example right so of course and then the whole ivermectin thing i'm not even gonna gonna re, re i don't know talk about it again because it's been everywhere um but of course this also shapes the discourse around around the topic i mean you, you you can't if you have so much impact you can't help but shape the discourse about certain things it even if you say i don't want to shape the discourse if you have 11 million listeners per episode that's not your choice anymore <laughs> so you, you're shaping it it's like when once you chose to stop step oh god the now i'm you know so sick getting tired once you chose to step into the limelight that decision is taking away you chose to be in the limelight to be in the spotlight you are impacting influencing discussion discourse so you can't hide from it i think that's also an important takeaway that's that's actually one of the more important things that i that i kind of blame rogan for i understand why that he's like he says like i'm just a comedian don't listen to me fair enough but you chose to do this publicly you know you have a huge audience following so if there's controversy, sometimes you gotta man up and get out of your ice bath and face it, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, he also has politicians on there. He, some he has on, some he has not. What's kind of framing, kind of gatekeeping again, right? So he has like some controversial figures on from politics. Then others he, he doesn't, but maybe they don't want to. Who, who knows? Maybe they, they had 
discussions, but he says he doesn't want to be like just another news show where they just send politicians to spread their message. All fair enough. It's just doesn't, it's not equally distributed. Again, it's hard to do. It's super hard to do. You cannot be like, okay, I'm going to have three Democrats, three uh, Republicans, and then uh, three people without a party. And if Robert Kennedy had like three hours, I'm going to give three hours to that guy. And I know that's not easy to do, but it does influence the way his audience thinks about certain people, certain politicians, certain, I know, policies. That's just the case. Uh, lastly, of course, his stance on psychedelics, mental health, and so on. Like I said earlier, that also actually that happened to me. I listened to him. I listened again. I've been listening for years. And I thought, huh, well, sometimes I struggle a little bit. So maybe, maybe I should just give it a try. I mean, if they all do it and they all say it helped them, so maybe it's something worth trying. So, yeah, again, I'm not saying it's all negative. I'm just saying it definitely happens. Okay, so that's why it's important. Even if you're a big Rogan fan, if you're a Rogan hater, even more so, um, because if you're a Rogan fan, which I understand, but it's still important to use critical thinking media literacy when you're listening to him and you're consuming his media. Right? Don't just blindly follow. If you're a Rogan hater, same thing. Don't just blindly believe those those 30 second clips that you see on CNN or, or, or wherever, right? Because of course they're also using the same theories to frame, to gatekeep, and whatnot. Okay, so media literacy, a common sense, critical thinking is the most important thing to utilize to have when you're consuming media. All right, that's about it. Um, I don't want to make this too much of a uni lecture here. So I just hope that made a little bit of sense. Um, maybe dive into other famous podcasters, publishers, comedians. Let, let's see in the future if, if you like that. And let me think, what do you think about, about Joe Rogan? Did he change over the last few years? Um, like I said, I think he used to be more critical. He used to be like the devil's advocate more often. And now he very often sticks to his stance and just tries to make his point rather than listening to the other person's point of view. Um, but I think it's also normal after like 10 years of interviewing people, you probably have so much information that you think, I don't need to listen to just everybody. I just know better because I have more information. Uh, well, let me know what you think. Are you a Rogan fan? Are you a Rogan hater? Are you neither? Do you follow him? Do you follow me? If not, do so now at Funkitpod. Like, share, subscribe. Leave a review because it really helps and reaches re, re, helps us reach a bigger audience. You can see I struggle with my speech right now. I'm very tired. I'm still sick. I'm going to go back to bed now. Until then, take care. Stay safe. Sawadee